0: Well, it is good to be here with you guys as we are continuing to start this new year. We are starting a sermon series called Making Change, which is about finding financial freedom and purpose as we start this year. I do know for a fact and even a statistical fact that finances, especially as we begin a year, are on many people's minds. Um, In 2021, There's a survey that was done that came out with the fact that 74% of Americans in 2021 were worried about finances. That's almost three out of four people. It was the top issue that most Americans were worried about. In fact, the American Psychological Association um, says that basically year after year, Finances continue to be the top thing that people are concerned and worried about. Think about that. That's more than death. People are more afraid of finances and financial issues than death. They're more afraid of that than rejection, than failure, or than my uh, personal, personal uh, fear of falling off a cruise ship in the middle of the night, in the middle of the ocean. That's my personal fear. More people are afraid of, of finances than, um, than those things. Sorry, we're trying to find, figure out the uh, time here. So I, I know uh, we can all relate to, to that fear of finances. At some point or another in our life, I'm sure that we lost sleep, were anxious, were worried uh, over finances and over our provision. And I, and I think and wonder if that is why the Bible talks more about finances than any other topic. In fact, throughout Scripture, um, either money or possessions is mentioned around 2,000 times. That's more than the 500 or so verses on prayer. It's more than the less than 500 or so verses on faith. And in fact, Jesus talks about uh, money money for about 15% of his teachings. So why why is that? I believe it's because God cares about you, and God cares about the things that you care about and are worried about. In addition to that, throughout Scripture, we see finances and possessions intricately related and connected with our personal peace, and intricately connected with our faith in the matters of our heart. And so we want to help you throughout this three week series find not only freedom and purpose with your finances, but find yourself in the middle of God's plan for your life and your finances. So we wanna do that not only by offering these three sermons over the next three weeks, uh, but in addition to that, we have a number of resources in the back, <clears throat> a number of free resources. Some of those, uh, we've got a financial resource list, and so here's some recommended tools or readings. We have um, some kind of sample budgets uh, and outlines that you can use if you're like, man, we need, to, we need to look back at our finances, tighten things up, or look at a cash flow plan, whatever. We want to help give you the tools and resources there. So. Feel free to hop back, take these. Uh, in addition, we have a number of books available to you, including Managing God's Money. This is a great book on um, just really an overview of what the Bible says about money. We have um, this book uh, called Realign, which gives you kind of not only an overview of what Scripture says on money, but really practical handrails to find, um, to step into God's purpose for your money. So this is kind of a very holistic, helpful book, as well as... Uh, written by one of our own friends, John Reinhardt, giving together. Uh, The Reinhardts were part of our church until they moved to Seattle, which I was sad about. Uh, But uh, some of our best friends wrote this book, and this is a basic invitation into a journey of generosity uh, in your life. And it'll give you practical handrails and even challenges to step into being generous and something you can do with friends, with community, with your life groups. So some great resources. In addition, we're going to be offering an equipping class on the 23rd, right after church. And so, um, if you want to go deeper and even more practical than the sermon series as you start the year, I want to invite you to that uh, that equipping class. And of course, I know we all know people who could use a little financial encouragement to help. We have these invitations here in the back. If you want to invite a friend, a family member, or someone you think would be blessed by not only this uh, series but put some resources in their hand, we'd love to uh, give this to you. Of course, if you are new, we'd love to put a free book in your hand in the back as well. And so, um, as we start today, I want to share a little story that if you've been around a while, you might have heard me share this story. But um, over the years, I, especially in my single years, I lived in some pretty rough houses, for a couple of reasons. I was trying to save a little money, and I was living that single life, you know what I mean? But also, uh, sometimes I moved in a neighborhood to kind of reach those in need around me. I moved into a tougher neighborhood, and so um, there's one house I lived in, which is not the house that was a crack house, which had like finger smears and like cooking crack stains all over the ceiling that we had to clean up but I lived in another house that none of the house was level like everything was like sloping you could go skiing inside the house if you had snow right and so uh it was massive there was like six or seven rooms it was huge there was like six doors which people kept trying to break into we got broken into three times that year it was a delight I caught one of them had a great conversation with him got to pray for him and uh so, uh, so it got broken into three times But everything was sloping So like bookshelves, things would be like tipping over I thought the refrigerator was going to slide into a black hole Under the house in the kitchen right? And, and the issue was It had a bad foundation And so We could have made that house look real pretty On the outside We could have put some nice stuff on the inside And we could have put a lot of money Above the foundation Into the house But as long as we kept, would have kept dumping money in that house, it wouldn't have really mattered until we dealt with the foundation issues, right? Because ultimately, if that landowner, that if that property owner was gonna sell the house, the first thing they would have to deal with was the issues below the surface in the foundation. And the Bible talks a lot about the concept of our heart, which is a very holistic from a Hebrew perspective concept. And the reason why it does that is the concept of our our emotions and our thought life and our inner being, that is the foundation of our life. In fact, Proverbs chapter 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart because everything else in life flows from the matters of the heart. You see, the heart is the foundation of our very being. And so we can get our life together in 2022 and do our goals and look nice and, you know, be more presentable as a person. But we'll never find peace by just changing the outside, which has plenty of benefit. Until we find peace on the inside. And same with finances. We can get you budgets. We'll talk practically, especially in the equipping class, right? But until we find peace and trust with God in our heart with area of finances, we'll struggle to find peace no matter how much we organize our life and our budget. You see, financial freedom starts first as a matter of the heart. Freedom is not an issue of getting a larger budget or an income. Freedom comes from a trusting heart of God. And so I know today there's a lot of different places that you're coming in around the area of finances. Maybe you're doing fine. Maybe you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this Sunday or this week. Maybe you're In between jobs and trying to figure that out, but I do believe that no matter where you are, God wants to give you peace and meet with you right in that place. And uh, the good news is, Scripture gives us a pathway into finding peace in our hearts from through Matthew chapter six. So turn to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter five through seven, or what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus kind of first recorded big sermon. and, And it essentially unpacks for us what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. It's kind of like a 101 of explanation of how God's people are to live in a different way than the rest of the world. Let's start in verse 24. He says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, view by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Now I I want to help us grasp the big idea of this text by seeing something that's repeated five different times. Five different times, Jesus addresses directly the thought of not being anxious about money. Verse 25, do not be anxious. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious? Verse 28, why are you anxious? Verse 31, do not be anxious. Verse 34, do not be anxious. Here's the big idea I take from the repetition. The big idea what Jesus is trying to get at in this segment of his teaching is that God wants you to be anxiety-free around the topic of money. God wants you to be anxiety-free around the topic of money. Now, that's that's a tall order because the reality is most of us, if not all of us, have a level on a scale of 1 to 10 are probably registering somewhere <laughs> on the subtle anxiety or a lot of anxiety around finances. We've got a changing world. We've got a changing, you know, people putting money into Bitcoin. Should we take money out of the stock market and put it in the gold? Because there's uncertainty, right? There's job changes. There's uh, economic needs, right? That's a tall order. Anxiety, the definition is it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. We all have some anxiety in some way or another, and there's many reasons we do. Let me give a really simple summary. We worry because we don't have enough money, right? Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, why we would be worrying if we don't have enough money? We also worry because we do have money, right? Studies show time and time again that when we get money, we actually remain worried because we're worried about losing it. A study showed that nearly 50% of, them, of millionaires in our country are extremely worried about money, of millionaires. I read numerous articles of financial advisors that say people come in with great wealth all the time who are extremely anxious about their money. So we're worried about money because we don't have it. We're worried about money because we do have it. And another reason we worry about money is because we struggle to manage both our wants and our wallet and where those two intersect. We're made to have desires as human beings. It's good. And we struggle to manage where our desires meet our wallet. Right? And so... Um, We worry about money, and what's easy to happen as we worry about money is we slowly become more and more focused and wrapped up around building our lives around provision. Again, that's not bad to a degree, but we slowly and slowly make it the single Track thing that guides our decision on what we're doing with our life, on where we're going with our life, on where we are. Um, and, and slowly what can happen according to verse 24 is the life of God starts to slowly get choked out of us. Because the Bible says, Jesus said right here that we cannot serve both God and money. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, said this, Many Christians and Christian leaders have been neutralized by the love of money and materialism. The homage paid to affluence becomes a burden that saps our energy as well as our love for God and other people. Now, again, this is a tall order, to not be anxious about money. And so... I believe Jesus here is not trying to minimize the legitimate anxiety and fears we have, and some of us are in tough situations maybe right now. But what I believe is he's wanting to do is maximize having his perspective on finances. And so he gives us two arguments in this text, or kind of paradigm shifts, that support his argument, his big idea of not being worried about money. And the first is this, that life is more than stuff. Life consists about more than having stuff. Now, uh, and and we see that, let me just real quick, verse 25, he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, I know this is obvious in the front end. I don't think many of you came to church thinking, My main goal is I have to have a Bentley and just flash Gucci all the time. You know, I know that like, 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 duh, life is more than stuff, right? Uh, But there's a subtle lie that is not new and is still going on that satisfaction will come by having something that I don't yet have. Satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction in my soul will come by having something I don't yet have. This lie, this appeal to our carnal desires and to our sense of status and our felt need for things goes all the way back to the creation story in the garden with with the enemy's appeal to Adam and Eve. And we see it again in the temptation of Jesus, right, in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus comes and said, you, or the enemy comes and said, Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms if you'll bow down to me. It would feel good to have all this authority and all this influence and all this wealth. Let me appeal to your carnal desires for stuff and for affluence and for fame and for security in this earth. And Jesus said, no, I'm only supposed to worship the Lord my God. He also says to Jesus, you can turn this, because he's been fasting for 40 days, right? Uh, he says, you could turn this into bread, and then he will be satisfied. And Jesus said, no, no, no. We don't live off food alone. Our life is more than food and feeling filled. Our life has a deeper meaning than that. You see, this plays the same truth and battle plays out in so many ways today. For our self, our, our sense of need for status change. We need to make a change, right? We need to do something different. I need a status change. If I just have a status change and press this kind of easy button, then I'll feel better, right? Whether a, a change of car, a change of clothes, a change of uh, a bank account uh, amount, right? A change of a friend group. If I just have new friends, then people will be just perfectly like Jesus, right? Uh, or, or this illusion of happiness. If I have something, then I'll feel better. If, if I have the new iPhone, right, then my soul will be deeply satisfied, right? If I have that promotion or that experience or more followers or whatever, right, which by the way, anything that you need to feel okay about yourself, the Bible says is called an idol. Or maybe it plays out with this illusion of the need for security and safety, This idea that if I have a certain amount in my bank account or in savings or in the stock market or if I own a home or whatever, then we will be safe. Then everything will work out. Then I'll be secure. Then I'll be able to sleep at night. Or maybe that, right, if my kids are in the right school and I work hard so that they can go to college so they can get good jobs, so that they can work hard and their kids go to college, so then their kids can get good jobs and work hard, so then their kids can go to college, and then everyone will just be okay in my family. Now listen, going to college is great, about it, awesome. <laughs> right? But we often go on these cycles, we don't really wonder why we are living that way, and why we're pursuing, and I think so often we have fear that is masquerading as wisdom, that is really driving us. Again, be wise. Be financialized. We're going to talk about that in this series. But we cannot ultimately serve and base our life around money and serve God at the same time, Jesus is saying. And, and I get it. Like, like I used to be like, oh, live in the roughest houses for Jesus and this and that. And then we had kids. And then just life got more complex. And, and like I get the need to feel secure. I get it, and I want it for my kids. Like, like, I totally am, like, in your boat with you. But the reality is you can spend your whole life chasing stuff and be successful at it, and at the end of your life, realize how empty you are. It's summed up in what Jesus said in Matthew in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What does it gain a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul. You see, at the end of your life, you don't want your testimony at your funeral to be, they made a lot of money. Like, sure, if that's a part of it, great. <laughs> or, she always had the new iPhone. <laughs> like, she was a first in line. <laughs> or, they always played it safe. They always played it safe. Or wow, they really accrued a lot of money for themselves. Like none of that stuff you're going to take to the grave with you, right? He's not going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant. You were the first in line for the iPhone every time. God, I present to you my iPhones. (laughs) I love my iPhone, by the way, so I'm not hating on it. Right now, you want your kids to testify at your funeral that you had a deep relationship with them and loved them. You want people to testify, regardless of how much money you had, about how much you loved people at your job, which made either a lot or little money. You want people to say, man, they worked behind the scenes, but they discipled a few people, who discipled a few people, and their legacy is changing generations. You want people to say, man, they knew God. They knew God in this life, right? Or they lived their calling. You see, the lie is that satisfaction can come from something I don't yet have, but the truth is that ultimate satisfaction comes from God's presence and the fruit of following him. I remember uh, my dream in when I was young was to, and, and not following Jesus, I was, I, my main goal in life was to be successful, outwardly. And I, uh, I always thought, I'm going to get in a big organization and then climb the ladder to CEO. And I remember I had a summer where I got to work directly for the CEO of a large company that you guys would be familiar with. And I remember the end of that summer, he said, hey, when are you going to come work for me? Because you're going to do great. And I remember it was just like, I have waited my whole life for this moment. But now I'm following Jesus and, I, and not everyone's called the vocational ministry. We're all ministers, but I had felt called to vocational ministry. I remember looking at him, cringing, saying, no, thank you. <laughs> because this is what I wanted my whole life. And now I'm like, I really believe that even a deeper part inside of me will be more satisfied in following Jesus. Some of y'all are called to make a lot of money and be kingdom people with that money. But for me, I felt called to, to be a pastor. And I remember him looking at me all weird like, what are you thinking, you know? And, and me, I drove away crying because it was a fork in the road for me. But I remember there were tears of freedom. I felt free because my life wasn't dictated by a senseless pursuit of success and money as my main goal, but my delight was in his presence and following him. Second truth, Jesus giving us true truths, is that we're children of a generous God. Second truth to support Jesus' called to us to not be anxious is the fact that we're children of a generous God. Um, verse 26 through 30, what we see is Jesus appeals with this illustration of nature and God's provision in nature to help us understand of how he's going to care for us. He said, look at the birds of the air, right? They don't reap or sow in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Let me help us understand this. I mean, we see birds around, we don't think of it often, but there are nine to 10,000 species of birds in the world. And it's estimated there are 200 to 400 billion birds in the world. Billion. 200 to 400 billion birds in the world. And yet God feeds them all. Billion, 400 billion, Right? And God didn't just make a few birds, like there's three kind of birds that all look the same. Like, he made thousands and thousands and thousands of types of birds. Like, we just see God's lavish and unnecessary generosity with that alone. Now, I know this isn't even a bird, but it's got a bill like a bird. Check out the duck-billed platypus. Like, why would God make the duck-billed platypus? I mean... That is the weirdest looking thing, and yet God's like, oh, I'll just make this too and be generous, and he takes care of that thing. What does that do, right? (laughs) That's crazy. And yet God cares for them. How about the flowers? Jesus said they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. He could have been like, eh, not a big deal. Flowers, they just look nice, but they don't matter practically. I got bigger fish to find. I got lives to save and humans I need to provide for. So we'll just do away with flowers in the creation. No, 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 no. It's estimated that there are 250 to 400,000 species of flowers and flowering plants in the world. And God just put them all over. Look at these. God just lavishly and generously, because they know, because they're my kids, I will do whatever it takes to provide for them. And we either think like a son or a daughter of God, or we trust ourselves only. You see, because the lie the enemy gives us and orphans believe, right? Because we often struggle with faith because we don't think like his children, but we think like orphans. And the lie orphans believe is there's not enough in this world and I need to fend for myself to get the little there is. But the truth that God's children believe is that God owns it all and he's extremely generous. You see, orphans, when they think of of money, we think we're anxious unless there's practical, tangible security. But sons and daughters think peace in adversity, right? Those that think like orphans around money, we hoard and self-focused, right? But sons and daughters, right, we can be generous with our money because we know God has been generous with us and he's going to continue to provide for us, right? Those of us who think like orphans with our money, right, we are often boundaryless with our work because we don't expect God to provide in our human limitations. But those of us who trust God, we go work hard and then we can come home and sleep at night, right? I could keep going, two different mentalities, but God wants to remind you that you are a son and daughter and not an orphan, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to transform the way you think about him, his provision, and money, so you can find freedom in your heart. So how are we to live worried, free lives in light of these these two truths? I want to look back at verse 31 to 34. He says this, Therefore, don't be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. You see how we do money is fundamentally different, Jesus is saying, from the unbelieving world around us. Because we have a generous Father in heaven that has sustained us up until this point and will continue to sustain us. What this passage is doing is not just telling us not to worry, but telling us to replace our worry with a much greater concern. And that's Jesus and his kingdom. He's not just saying, oh, don't worry and get over it. He's saying, no, no, let me give you a much greater purpose and a much greater perspective and a much greater reason for working hard. And that's Jesus and his kingdom. And if you'll put that first and him first, then God will continue to provide. Again, the secret to getting over worrying about money is not a bigger budget, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's being dependent on a loving God. You see, a lot of people try to get over worry and aren't even praying about it. But a worry-free life is a byproduct of living dependent on who he is. Again, that doesn't mean we won't have financial struggles. That doesn't mean we won't work hard. I mean, the birds don't just sit in their nest and worms come to their mouth. They go and get them. We gotta go to work, right? Right? But we don't have to worry. We work, but we don't worry, right? So it doesn't look like those things, but it does look like daily dependence on God. We don't like dependence because we are in America and we live independently, right? We don't need anyone or anything and thankful for much about our country, but uh, dependence and weakness is not a natural value set in our culture. Being childlike is not a natural value set in our culture. And God invites us to be like children and trust him again and again. What that means is inviting him into our finances, bringing him our fears, bringing him our wants, maybe even some of those wants that we don't really need, but we just want it, right? Bring him our budget, bring him our finances, bring him economic uncertainty and laying it at his feet. Say, Jesus, you know every hair in my head and I am freaking out here (laughs) and you are in control and God, I'm inviting you in and I want to do this with you, Father, because you're not going to leave me alone. That's the essence of what Jesus taught us to pray, give me this day my daily bread, a daily dependence upon God for, the, for our provision. Whether we have no money or whether we have the best money, in, <laughs> we're banking a daily dependence. God, give me this day my daily bread. That means seeking for second. Means We don't start our day with a list of to-dos and a bunch of lack that we focus on. We start our day by lifting our eyes to Jesus. Lifting our eyes to the one who has abundance and lifting our eyes to the one who will always provide again and again and again. And then out of that revelation of God's sovereignty and abundance, then we address our needs, our lacks, and our wants. And we can do it with faith and rest because we've started our day by lifting our eyes on him. You know, we're going to take a minute and respond now, but as I was praying, I, I felt like God Show me this picture of some of us. We're like driving this car that's like our finances. And, but we're staring at the, um, at the instruments. We're like staring at the speedometer and the, <laughs> the fuel levels. And we keep going into ditches because we ain't looking at the road. And I feel like that's just a picture, of maybe, how some of us are doing money. We're, we're looking at our finances. We're looking at all the things we're worried about. We're looking at the measures. We need those. Like, just like you need a speedometer and you need all those measures. And if you're not taking care of the check engine light, you're going to run into trouble. But you don't drive staring at the speedometer the whole time. You drive looking at the road and then you look down occasionally to check how you're doing and to make adjustments as needed. And I feel like some of us, we're staring at what's messed up in our finances. We forgot to look up at Jesus. Jesus. God wants to rearrange some of our perspective. We spend our time and the best of our life looking and pursuing Jesus. And then we're diligent to handle our money and work hard and look down at the dials and realize, oh, we need a little more money here. We need to believe for more here. We need to make a change here. I believe as we'll do that, fix our eyes and we'll find peace. So a few questions I want to invite us to respond to. Number one, where do you have anxiety about money? I invite you just sit with Jesus for a second. Where do you have anxiety right now about money, about the economy, about your job, about possessions? I believe that. Praying, God really wants it. Some of us are caught in a spirit of fear. Like we're just feeling choked around money. And God wants to set some of you free today. And you're reacting to fear rather than living in faith. Secondly, what lie behind that anxiety? What lie are you being told? What story are you believing? About yourself, about your money, about God, what story are you believing that's not true? I believe, praying, that some of us are carrying a generational orphan mentality. Maybe you grew up without much, and maybe you've been successful, but you're still thinking and living like an orphan. And lastly, what might it look like to invite Jesus into your finances, whether you have much or little? Say, Jesus, I want to do